scripture. You're opened up to Joshua chapter 9. As we'll take just one chapter tonight. Lots of it uh, in here. Lessons learned within this, uh, this chapter. And, uh, and much to, to see what the Lord is and the Holy Spirit's going to glean from that for us to illuminate to us uh, individually, but also uh, collectively. Father, we thank you for this evening. And as we open up your word, we need your Holy Spirit to speak to us and to move in a mighty way to, to, to penetrate our ears, to have ears to hear and hearts to receive, soft hearts to receive, Lord, as we worship you in song. Now we worship you as we open up your word and partake of what you have for us this evening. May we not only be hearers of the word, but be doers. Apply it, Lord, just by your Holy Spirit, application here for us uh, individually. And just bless all of the hearers who are here uh, in person and those online, Lord, just uh, bless them this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled The Deception, and you'll see what the, why that is uh, and the lessons learned through this. Uh, it's going to be a hard lesson for Joshua, uh, but it's a good lesson uh, as a leader uh, to be aware of the fact that it is real. There is deception that is out there in the darkness that can af affect you and I. It's how Satan works, it's how the flesh works, and uh, we will see it no different back then in those days, and it is still today in regards to deception. But we see here in Joshua 9, uh, we finish there in chapter 8, while Israel was at Mount Ebal and to M Mount uh, Gerizim there in Joshua chapter 8, verses 30 through 35, they were reaffirming their commitment to the Lord. Because remember, they just went from a high, low, high moment. They, uh, you know, Jericho, God just led them to bring down or actually the, to take over Jericho. And then they thought they could do it on their own when they went to Ai and they got, uh, uh, they got their, you know, scattered right out and, and some people died there. And then that, that shocked them because that was the first ones to die um, because they went on their own. They didn't listen and ask God and they didn't... Uh, go when God said to go and let God lead. They thought they could do it on their own. And then they regrouped from that because there was sin in the camp and dealt with the sin in the camp and someone died and the entire family died um, because of their sin that was affecting the entire nation. They dealt with that. They went back to war. They, of course, Lord led them and uh, by their, his strength and they beat Ai. Well, now... While they're reconfirming their commitment to the Lord there, the kings of Canaan were getting ready to join forces and attack them. We see it here in Joshua 9. We pick it up here in verse 1. And it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, which is the western side of the Jordan, on the, the promised land, in the hills, in the lowland, and in the coast of the great sea, which is the Mediterranean Sea, in the northern part there toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hevite, and the Jebusites heard about it. Heard about what? Well, Je Je Jericho being wiped out uh, by the Israelites, the AIs being taken out, and they knew exactly what was going on. They knew exactly what the plans were, um, that God was going to use his, the nation of Israel to wipe out the, that land and all the Canaan, Canaanites, and they're going to possess the land. So they knew and had heard about what was going on in verse 2, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. Well, that was interesting. Why wouldn't they all do that? Because they're dwelling in the land. But what's interesting is that when the Canaanite kings heard how the Lord delivered these 
great battles with these enemies, they've been fighting with these same people. Remember, there was tribal wars going on, on all the time during that period of time. So these kings probably went against Jericho and couldn't win. They went probably against Ai, couldn't win. And now they're sitting there going, we better join forces together. Now, why would enemies come together to fight Israel? Because there's no, nothing different. Because when they have a common enemy, it's amazing how enemies become one accord for to go against the one enemy that is that threatens them all and it say it happens today we see it in politically uh and we see it in corporations we see it all different levels they do the same thing they'll be at enemies with each other but when there's a common enemy they usually join forces to try to take them down that happens in so many different levels within society because it's the same darkness it's the same spirit and it's evil so we see here that this is a classic, that they're going to join forces to come against Joshua, the nation of Israel, and they're going to go on the offense. They're not going to wait for Joshua and the, and the Israelites to come and take them out one by one. They're going to join forces and have a frontal attack, and they're going to go head-to-head -head competition in the battlefields. And this will be setting us up for chapters 10 and 11 because it will prepare us for that study because it will be talking about the wars we go from the southern and the northern campaigns of the conquest of the land. But note this frightened king tried to group together and they went from all different parts of geographically of the area we see they those came down from the hills those are coming from the lowlands those are coming from the coast seas I mean they're very diverse cultures but commonality of, of these different tribes were coming together and they're going to say they're he's not going to conquer our part of our land don't let him take your highlands if we don't stay together they're going to take the hill if we don't stay together, we're going to take the coastlands. If we don't stay together, we're going to take the lowland. So let's come together. We'll fight them. And we should be more powerful as a confederation um, than if we did singly. So they fought these. We found these truces in the tribes to be able to come against them and invade. Or they thought they were going to be invading God's people. But the Canaanite tribes were not united all the time, but a commonality. And I'll give you two verses around that. Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. And also Luke 23, 12 talks about that same point. How the enemies will come together in one accord to go against a common enemy. But after an experience of great blessing. God's people now are going to, must be, going to be prepared for what comes after that. When you have a mountaintop experience in your life and you just see how God miraculously is moving in your life, expect the enemy to potentially to come after you. When God has used you in such a great way to lead someone to Christ, watch out, the enemy's coming after you. If God says, you know, we're going to bless you in this way and move in this direction, expect challenges and potentially from the enemy himself coming against you and that's exactly what's going to happen to Israel and that's the reason why we understand what the scripture says when Satan sometimes comes as a devouring lion in first Peter 5 8 sometimes as a deceiving serpent that's how that uh, Satan comes we see that and annotated in second Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3 when we must be alert and protected by the spiritual armor that God says he provides for us that is annotated in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 18. And if we do not put the armor of God on every day, then we could possibly get devoured by the enemy. We could possibly be, uh, be deceived by the serpent. But we are at risk 
of the deception if we're not careful. That is why we must put on the armor of God each day so that we're not deceived. And there's not this deception that can overcome your mind through the, the things that take place in our society today. And it's such a plethora of ways, media and all kinds of marketing and, and constant messaging that they're out there in all forms to get you through all kinds of media to convince you of something that is a deception. And we have to have the wisdom of God and the clarity of God and understanding God's word and filter all things from a biblical worldview. If not, we'll be deceived. And we'll have anxieties and fears and all kinds of things. And through that, that's how the enemy moves you. The enemy wants to move you through fear. And fear is not of God. And went through anxiety and, and, and manipulations and all kinds of deceptions to get you to move in the direction away from the things of God and the God's truth to the worldly ways. Darkness. That is happened then and it happens today. And that's why we need to know the word of God and be soaked in the word of God so that we're not have this deception that comes that will because it's going to come. It has come. It continues to come. But we don't want to be deceived. So in Joshua chapter, uh, verse 3 of chapter 9, we see, but, but, that's a key word, but, transition, when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua had, what had Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, pause there for a minute, we will find that not all of Israel's enemies really wanted to fight. Once they started hearing that God was for them and wiping them, these 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 mighty um, mighty men out these armies the Gibeonites are convinced the inhabitants of Gibeon were convinced they could never defeat Israel in war so they pursued a false narrative of trying to find some way to find a, a peace or some way to keep them from taking them out and look what happens here they come in verse 4 they worked craftily they want to have the, where they're not having to go to fight because they know they're going to lose and they're going to craftily figure out a way to get them to keep from having to go to war. Because the rest of the kings, all these Canaanite kings were ready to form and go into battle and they're like, I hear what everyone else is doing, but we're not going to win this. And so let's figure out craftily what, how we can get out of this. And so what did they do? And they went and pretended to be ambassadors and they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, and old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provisions were dry and moldy. Verse 6, and they went to Joshua to the camp of Gilgal. So they went right to the camp. Gilgal, right on the western side of the Jordan River, right where they're camping when they first came across that's where they're camping. He, they went right to the camp and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. So here's the deception. They made him look like they've been traveling so far that everything is worn out on them. They're poor. They're, they don't have a whole lot of provisions. And they look at us. We're just barely making it here. We've traveled so far to come see you directly because we're coming... To, so far away, we want to make a covenant with you. We want to make a peace covenant with you. We don't want you to work your way up in this far country to take us out. 
Well, that's a deception because craftily they were figuring out how to the, the Gibeonites uh, can figure out how to deceive Israel and making a peace treaty with them, though Israel was forbidden. We see in the scripture it was forbidden to make a peace treaty with any of the Canaanites. None of them. They weren't to do that. It was very clear in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 10 through 18, and also 7 1 through 1 and 2. But the Mosaic law permitted Israel to make peace with cities far off, but they were not to make peace treaties with those within the promised land because they were supposed to wipe them out completely. All men and women, everybody. And so this deception came in and looking for this peace treaty because they are saying that we're so far away, we're, we, you, can, you can form this peace treaty with us. We understand what you're doing. We know what your mission is. You're supposed to wipe us all out, but we're not going to tell you we're part of the, what you're supposed to wipe out. But why did God tell the Israelites to wipe out every man and woman children in the Canaanite territories of the promised land because in deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 18 it's very clear it says lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations which they have done for their gods and you sin against the lord your god that's why they're going to take them out because god says if you don't take them out they're going to influence you with the same abominations the same things that go against the nature of God and who he is, they're going to teach those to your children. They're going to teach those to your wives. They're going to teach you those to those men. And they're going to end up finding themselves in a very difficult situation. And it will permeate this sin, this abomination, will permeate, permeate into the culture of the Israelites. So they had to be taken out. But notice here the method of the deception used by the Gibeonites. They were clever. They were crafty. They represented themselves as, or pretended. They were not who they said they were. And they even gave false evidence in the deception. So they went to great length of, of, of recreating of who they are so that they can deceive the people who they were to deceive. Now, you have to keep that in mind because beyond the deception of appearance, they also just flat out lied. I'm from a, a far country, which was not true. They were only 25 miles from Gilgal. They weren't a far off country. They were only 25 miles away. And so Joshua, listening to this and taking this all in, what does he do? What does the leaders of the Israelites do when they're listening to these people from a foreign supposedly from a far country. Well, it says right here in verse 7, Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, because that's who came from it, specifically, if you go back and look at those Canaanite kings who were uniting, one of them, the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? So initially, wait a minute, you might be among us. You're probably in this territory. How do we know this? And how can, we can't make peace with you. You're our enemy. So their very first discernment, should, they had a doubt, they had a hesitation, they questioned, perhaps you are. So there was a doubt there, but did they listen to that and stop when you had doubt? No, they did not. The first thing was when you have doubt, like, mm, you should question it. You should have hesitation. There's a reason. 
And we find very clearly men, evil men, have a tendency to want to take advantage of the righteous. Because they know that righteous sometimes are always very kind-hearted and very loving and very kind and giving people. And so people take advantage. Evil men will take advantage of, of righteous men. But the travelers uh, from Gibeon were called the Hivites and there were descendants of Canaan, a son of Ham that we see in Genesis chapter 10, verse 17. But look here in verse 8. But they said, another transition word, but they said to Joshua... Because they saw some doubt, so they had to come in for reinforcement here. Look what they say now. Before it was like, can you make a covenant with us? All of a sudden they sense Joshua has doubt. The leaders have a little bit of doubt. So they now reinforce the deception. Look what they say. But they said to Joshua, we are your servants. Because they realized if they didn't put up another little uh, enticement here, they might not get what they were going to get here. And so they say, you are, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? <laughs> so what do you mean you're going to show up and just all of a sudden now say, we're your, your servants? No one does that. Why are you so concerned if you're such a far off country? Verse 9, so they said to him, for a very we're from a very far country your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. Oh, now they even go right to the God moment, the God card. That's what we call it. When you're getting deception and they realize you're dealing with some Christians, people will flip out that God card. Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, I know God. They'll throw it out very quick to kind of keep you to be, put your guards down so that they can deceive you. Watch what happens next. For we have heard of his fame, God's fame, and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, king of Hishbon, or Og, the king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. Verse 11, Therefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for the journey and go and to meet them, and say to them, We are your servants. Now therefore make a covenant with us. Verse 12, This bread of ours we took hot for our provisions from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it is dry and moldy. They're sort of re reaffirming the deception of, oh, it was hot, it was so good, it was right off, it came right out of the, out of the, the fire. Oh, it was such a great offering to give to you as a provision of how we're saying we're, we're, we want to be servants of yours. But we're just dry and moldy. Verse 13, and these wineskins which are filled with were new and see they are torn and these are garments and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. They're really just read, just painting it out there to make it look. Now, some people can look at it two different ways here that they're really being genuine, that they know they're going to die. And if they don't do something, they'll lean on their fleshly ways and they'll lie and deceive just to be able to survive but look what happens obviously the Gibeonites here lied to Israel but despite their lies they have a proper fear and admiration and honor of the God of Israel why 
Because he says, because of the name of the Lord your God, we have heard of his fame. They heard what God did coming out of Egypt. They heard what took place through the wilderness. They heard how they conquered the kings, uh, the enemies on the uh, east side of the Jordan. They heard what they, Jericho, and they heard what took place at Ai. They knew that their God was a mighty God, much more powerful than anyone they served. And they made that very clear. And so because God fights for Israel, they know it would be true and they would be wiped out. Now they lay out four, the, four lies, but then they said they had come because of the name of the Lord your God. And is that blasphemous? Is that a blasphemous statement from them? Or are they just like Rahab, who watched and heard and came to the same conclusion she was going to die in all of her family if she did not help and believe in the God of Israel. And she was saved. So, understand, Satan knows how to use religious lies to give the impression that the people are seeking to know the Lord, to get something from God's people. That happens all the time. But no, they made no mention of Israel's recent victories over Jericho and Ai. They only mention the ones from a distance of time. Because if they mentioned Jericho and Ai, then, then they would have possibly discerned that they were close to be able to know that those wars just took place. It's not like we have the internet. You can, today, something happens anywhere in the world and you automatically know it. That wasn't true in those days. It would take a long time and journey to get any information from afar. So that's why they didn't even mention Jericho and Ai because they were afar off. They would have no way would have known what was happening in Jericho and Ai. That's why they didn't mention it in their listing, only Egypt and the other kings. So they see this is happening. They know that this it hits their ears. Uh-oh, they're going to come up through and wipe us all out, like all the other nations potentially. So let's go and form this covenant with them. Look at verse 14. Then the men of Israel saw through the lies, saw through the deceptions, saw all the things. They saw it, right? The wisdom of God just permeated them in the discernment, and they called them out on the lies, right? No, it's not what happened. Look what happened. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions. They took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. Note that right there in your Bible. That is the biggest mistake they make. They turned around and made a decision without first consulting God in what he wanted them to do. So Joshua made peace with them, made a covenant with them to let them live, and the rulers of the congregation swore to them. They made an oath in God's name that they were going to allow them to live. And they gave them provision. They must have given them not moldy bread, but great bread. They didn't give them bad wine. They gave them good wine. They, they gave them and showed a peace offering. So the deception was clever, and it worked. 
because Joshua and the leaders did not consult with God first. And when we make a decision without consulting God first and waiting for him to give us an answer, you could be deceived. There's deception that can happen. And therefore, powerful and clever as they are, but the real problem was the fact that Joshua and the leaders of Israel never sought the Lord. They needed God's wisdom and approval, and they didn't seek it. They walked by sight and not by faith. This resulted in believing the enemy. They believed the lie that was fed to them. And that can happen to us if we're not seeking and being in the word of God. You can easily be deceived in the false narratives of the enemy. And so the men of Israel took some of the provisions and they show that they trusted them. They show they're going to make this the peace treaty with them. They, they feel and they, 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 they saw and how bad these people came from such a far way and they didn't have bread and wine and they're just barely hanging on there. And how, how sad the story was to present to us. <laughs> It's nothing new to the sign. We get people who will call and have the most saddest of stories. Just like that. Oh, we're barely making it. We don't have it. Goes on and on and on. All they're trying to do is deceive us because they just go from, you know, we'll get a call. They'll, they'll give a sad story and then all of a sudden they hang up and say, I'm sorry, we can't help you because of blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, two minutes later, they're calling again and they think they're calling another church because they just go down through the list waiting to get enough churches to give them uh, what they're looking for. And, and yeah, we won't go down that path much longer. But, but they learned on their own understanding. That's what they did. They learned, they leaned, they trusted in their own understanding and not discerning of, from God's wisdom. Now what's interesting is why didn't Joshua pick up on saying, you're ambassadors and you're showing up like this. You, if you're representing and wanting to make a peace treaty with another nation, you you got to have much more, a lot more provisions, a lot more people. Why are you coming so poorly? It should have been triggers all over the place of, of how can you make a treaty when you have nothing to make a treaty with. And that's why they stepped up their thing by saying, we're your servants. We'll give, a, we'll give you our lives and to make sure they can have it. Because they realized that the sad story wasn't the only thing that's going to help them win over Joshua and the leaders. So whatever they were thinking, Joshua and the leaders that caused them not to seek God in all matters was a mistake because they trusted in their own judgment and made their own plans. They leaned on their senses of what they were seeing and, and hearing the sad story and stuff to convince them to be swayed to do something they should not have done. And this holds true for believers of all ages. Now go back and read James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. Now in verse 16, we see that the Gibeonites un are uncovered. Their deception is uncovered and is going to be dealt with because everything always comes to light. The deception will come to light. It's only a matter of time. It will happen. So God made sure it came to light somehow, some way. Verse 16, it says, and it happened. It happened. It happened. How did it happen? We don't know. At the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. 
Well, here they have a peace treaty and they're having there and having provisions and they're probably spending time together. Somehow, some way, in some kind of conversation, it came to light that they were actually neighbors and not far off. Verse 17, And then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, uh, uh, Ker, uh, drawing a blank here, hold on there for a minute, uh, Cherephorah, Beroth, and Kerjath, Jerem. I don't know why tongue-tied on that one. But in three days, Israel learned that the deception took place and happened, and they went to journey, journey to these cities. 25 miles away from Gilgal, these were Canaanites. And verse 18, but the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel, and all the congregations complained against the rulers. Now look at there's now division within Israel because Joshua the leader and the Israelite leaders that represented each of the tribes made this decision. And now the congregation is complaining. This says, wait a minute. What do you mean we're not going to go to war with them and, and wipe them out? Now, you're sitting there going, why would the congregation say that? Were they so much more godly and so much more in tune with the law that they were like, how can you go against the law? I don't think so. I think the reason why the congregation was upset is because they get to keep all the booty when they go to war and wipe them out. They get to keep all the money and all the goats and all the, all the animals and stuff. They're like, wait a minute, this is a whole five, there's a lot of people here. We could be taking over the land, the hills, the coastland. I had my house already planned out on the Mediterranean and you're telling me I can't go take them out. You can see why there was congregation uh, probably was quite upset. But they had made an oath. And Joshua says, wait, wait, wait. We made an oath. Even though we made a mistake, even though we should not have done it, we still can't make another mistake by sinning, doing a sin over another sin. You can't do that. We sinned, yes. We should have seeked the God out that, been making this it. We should have never made that treaty. But we can't turn around now and sin again by breaking an oath of what we've already made in God's name. Can't do that. It's against the law. And so what happens? Are the congregations now complaining against the rulers? Verse 19, Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we have sworn to them. So they know if they went against it, there would be wrath from God upon them for breaking the oath. Because to break an oath would bring down that wrath, the tragedy would then hit, and we see that played out in real time. Where? In 2 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. Who broke that oath? King Saul broke that oath. We see that he broke the vow to the Gibeonites and his sin brought famine upon Israel in the days of David. So they didn't, Joshua do it, but when King Saul came up, he knew he wasn't supposed to do it. He did it anyway, and that brought famine on Israel. That's why Joshua was wise enough to know we cannot sin again against what God we'd said to God. 
In verse 21, we see now Joshua puts the, okay, we made a, we made a foolish mistake of letting you live and having this covenant with you. But now this is the consequence. You're going to be our slaves because you said you're going to be our servants and we're going to make you slaves and do the menial things that for, for us at the temple. Look what's interesting. Verse 21. So the ruler said to them, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. Then Joshua called for them, and he spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are very far from you when you dwell near us? Verse 23. Now therefore you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, Because your servants were clearly told... That the Lord your God commanded his servants Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. Therefore, we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. So they knew clearly what God spoke and told Moses. They knew what the mission was. It was clear as can be. So they made it very clear to them. This is why we did it. We're saving our hides because we knew you were going to come kill us. And now, verse 25, here we are. So, can you see it? Okay, so now we're here. Now what are you going to do? This is, this, is, this is reality, so what are we going to do here? We are in your hands. Do with us as it seemed good and right to do to us. So that's a very humbling and surrendered, broken moment here. So he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel. So they did not kill them. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the, of the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. So Joshua did not kill them, the Gibeonites, the Hivites. They, they, the, they got that what they wanted, that covenant. But they're going to be slaves and they were literally going to go out there and cut wood the rest of their lives and bring the wood in for the altars and for all the fires and, and, and do it for the congregation. So Israel won't have to cut the rest of their lives. They're going to cut all the wood for them. The Israelites weren't going to have to go find water and, and pick them up out of the wells and carry it. They were going to do it for the, for the temple. They were going to do it for the rest of their lives. They were going to serve God the God, the God of Israel, they're going to serve. And they did. And nowhere in the scriptures we see the Gibeonites, these Hittites, actually complain whatsoever. They said, we're in your hands. Our lives are spared. Our wives, our children, we're here to serve. Whatever you want us to do. He says, you're going to serve our God. And you're going to be slaves by doing that. You're going to be workers here the rest of your lives. And they did it. No complaint. It doesn't appear any complaint. They simply said, here's our hands. Tell us what to do. Do what is, seems right and good to do to us. And they were basically happy with the prospect of being incorporated into Israel. Just like, just like Rahab. I'm here. I'm going to help you. I'm, I believe in the God of Israel. And she was incorporated into the nation of Israel. Her and her family. 
Because she believed what God of Israel can do. They believed what God could do. They expressed this. Gibeonites expressed the same heart David did in Psalm 84.10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Great, great psalm. So it's essential to see that they did this out of the awe and the fear of God of Israel, not out of weakness. How do we know that? Because in Joshua chapter 10, verse 2, when we get there, we see that the Gibeonite men were mighty men. They were tremendous warriors. So it wasn't like they're weak, you know, coastal dwellers who were used to sleep, you know, laying on the beach and, and, and having the good life. These were warriors. And why did they do this? Because your servants were clearly told and they understood what God was going to do. And it was right through Moses and all of them. The Gibeonites were not looking to be the woodcutters. They weren't looking to be water carriers. But in knowing that they could be something for the Lord was better than having their entire nation wiped out. It's a change of heart. It was a change of mindset that made, I'd rather serve God than continue in possibly being wiped out because of the wickedness in us. But do we have that same heart? Can we rejoice in any kind of service for, the, for God? If we see we're in the presence of the Lord, as we, will we be willing to do whatever God wants you to do? To serve Him and however He wants to do? Even if it's a difficult thing that God's calling you to do, were you willing to do it for God? The Gibeonites came to God of Israel just like Rahab in Joshua 2. Now the Gibeonites here in Joshua 9 became servants at the tabernacle. But know what else happened after this? The Gibeon became a priestly city where the Ark of the Covenant stayed at Gibeon often in the days of David and Solomon. We see it in 1 Chronicles 16 and 1 Chronicles chapter 21. So God actually used that city of the Gibeonites for the Ark of the Covenant to be dwelt in. At least one of David's mighty men were a Gibeonite, we see in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. God appeared and spoke to Solomon in Gibeon because he, he visited there as 1 Kings chapter 3. We also see in Ezra chapter 2, verses 43 through 58, and chapter 8, verse 20, the fact that there were five Nithinims, or returned from Jerusalem, and that name Nithinims means giving, given ones. It means given to assist priests. That was a name that was given later for the Gibeonites. Because they were the given ones. God said, I'm going to give the Gibeonites to serve me at the temple, at the tabernacle. And that's how it's going to be. They were called the uh, Nithinims. And there were 500 there in Ezra, we see, that were coming uh, after the Babylonian captivity to come back and to help to do God's work. We see in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 7. Also in Nehemiah chapter 7, 25, that the Gibeonites were among the Jews at the walls of Jerusalem and Nehemiah rebuilding the walls. They were very much intertwined and in supporting the work 
of what God was doing. Even the prophets, such as Hananiah, the son of Azar, came from Gideon, Jeremiah 28.1. So God used these people who were coming and were lied in, in, in deception to save their lives because they did fear God. And God used those people, even though they were to be wiped out, God, by his grace and by his mercy, brought them in and used them in their, in their community for God's work. And these are great examples of the great things God can do with people who were sinners but come to God in humility and brokenness and how he can then take those, those wicked lies and turn them around for God's glory. And it is true. Natural consequences of sin must run their course. But the grace of God can not only forgive, and that's what God's grace does, he forgives but also overrule mistakes and often bring blessings out of the sins and failures of men and women by his grace. And that's the beauty of God. When he takes a broken life that was once evil and transforms it and by his grace then uses them to be vessels to do great things for God, it is amazing. That's amazing grace of God. And we see that and a glimpse of it, even with the Gimeonites here this evening. Father, we thank you for your word this evening as we opened up and allow just your spirit to move and to bring to light and to help us to learn um, the lives of Joshua and the nation of Israel and the mistakes they made, the failures they made, and the leadership failures they made in decisions of leading your people. Um, being deceived and being even godly people and led by you can be deceived by the lies and the pretend, pretending or the, 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 the veneers, the fakeness that people can put on to just get what they need to get. But we need your wisdom, Lord. We need your approval in all things. So may we learn tonight to seek you in all things before we make decisions, especially very, very consequential decisions. But regardless how small or how large, Lord, may we learn to just seek after you. Take all things and lay it at your feet and allow you to guide us. Help us not to lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge you. If they would have done that, they would have learned very quickly. You would have brought to light if they would have just seeked after you, Lord, and even asked, what should we do in this situation with these people? who come supposedly from a far country. And there was doubt. There was doubt. You put, you, you put it in their minds. They said, how do we know? And they didn't listen to that doubt. They didn't listen to the hesitations. They didn't look at the things. They just chose to just lean on their own understanding by sight and not by faith. Faith in you. May we just not be like that, Lord. May we live by faith and not by sight. We thank you and praise you. In your, in your precious name, Lord Jesus, amen. Have a wonderful night. God bless you all. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Be safe. And we, Lord willing, we'll see you on Sunday.